You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your moderator host, Abraham. (laughs) And I will be your choosing his words wisely host, Shane. (laughs) That's great. And today we are starting something very different mm-hmm. and very heavy. Mm-hmm. And this is the most challenging thing that I think we have ever taken on. Yeah, I would agree. When you propose a topic, I feel like our team was all in like, yeah, we need to do this. And then as, as we started kind of like getting the ideas together and starting to kind of go through it, we're like, oh, oh, and it is, it is heavy, <laughs> but heavy for the right reasons, because right. I think, I think it's an opportunity for us to have a very nuanced and complex discussion in a, what we hope to be a, what, what we hope is a meaningful way and to really just kind of open the dialogue about this particular topic, I guess. Before we start, I may as well give the plug now of if you like this episode if you like other episodes if you would like to support the show of course you can subscribe rate and review and those things are very helpful and if you have a little money you want to throw our way you can join us on patreon for as low as a dollar a month we have several tiers Mm -hmm. levels of support you might say that come with various benefits even if you join for like a week that's cool you know we'll We'll take whatever we can get. Yeah. So feel free to join us. I mean, it'd probably be worth it to join for a month, honestly, just because you don't get charged by the week. So <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. So consider joining us there. I don't know how, however you found us, we're available on all the streaming platforms, so you can find us there. And we haven't actually mentioned what we're talking about today, which is, this is a discussion about a movement or a campaign or an argument. I'm not sure exactly how to, how to characterize the nature of this debate. But there is a very heated, emotional back and forth that's happening right now with many people who have been highly critical of applied behavior analysis, also called Mm -hmm. ABA. Mm -hmm. And so this discussion, we are going to break into sort of a a mini series, if you will. We're going to do a bunch of shorter episodes where we take a part of this discussion, we hash it out together. And we release it, and then we're going to look for you, for you all as listeners, to reach out to us about that discussion. Please do so via email. It'll be really difficult for us to moderate this in a meaningful way via social media. If you have something thoughtful to say, email us at info at www.wwdpodcast.com. I know that pretty much all of you are going to have something to say. So yeah, reach us there. And we're asking for that because you know we we do have a social media team. We do have some folks, all of us work, you know, pretty regular jobs, I would say. As a matter of fact, this podcast is something that we do at like totally voluntary on the side, like as, as part of a project, but a project that is very values based. And so, you know, we want to have these discussions and we want to be meaningful because we're going to talk about kind of our backgrounds and our recognized biases walking into this, but we want to have a meaningful discussion. We want to have the discussion with you all about this. And so that's why we're asking to send it via email. So whether it's good, bad, or anywhere in between, that's where we're preferring to have that that information sent so that we can help maybe articulate and to be thoughtful about our responses because we know social media can be kind of a a cesspool of, of a lot of people yelling loudly in public and not really having the conversation. We definitely are going to be as diplomatic as we can be for the nature of this discussion. It's it's a tough one. 
I'll also admit that we are we're biased in coming from the discipline that we come from. So we're going to be as careful as possible to be charitable to the arguments that people are making. And we're really going to avoid as much as we can setting up any straw man arguments or any other logical fallacies. We're coming at this from the perspective of we're really trying to listen to the arguments that are being made, understand them, and respond kindly and diplomatically, thoughtfully, and in a way that engages the conversation. We, will, we want to move this conversation forward. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to assume that the arguments being made are not being made in bad faith, and we're going to strive and really ensure that the arguments we make, we're not making in bad faith either, or, or again, straw man arguments or anything like that. So that's just a setup for what we hope to really drive home in the, the characterization, I guess, of this discussion. And I think it's important to recognize that like, this is not going to be perfect. We're not going to please everybody with these episodes. We're not going to resolve the issues that are going on. And, you know, like Abraham just mentioned, the idea is that when when these arguments are coming up and these statements are coming up or when people are having these stories, it's not generally, I guess the word is when it's in strength in somebody's language, when somebody is is articulating this a certain way, it comes from somewhere. We recognize that behavior doesn't come out of the blue. So we're going to take that from the perspective of they're saying it for a reason. Let's hear what that reason might be. Yeah. And let's see if we can figure out the root of that reasoning. Let's see if it is an issue of misconception or if it is an issue of problem or is, you know, whatever it is, we really want to spend the time exploring that in a way that's going to be helpful for not only the people that are against this, but also the people that are for what we do and the people that are working and and, and everybody in between. I mean, this is really designed to be a conversation that is supposed to be complex and uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary. I also want to add in the disclaimer that we are not, no organization has approved us to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. We do not represent the Behavior Analysis Certification Board or any particular group of people or affiliation in this discussion because none of them even know that we're doing it, frankly. Yeah. This is just us. This is our team. This is us. This is our opinion. And this is our, uh, there are our attempts to address this conversation as diplomatically as possible. And so nobody else is on the hook for this, I guess. Yeah, I think you said it exactly right. Like nobody, nobody we work with knows that we're doing this. So this will be a fun shock for the folks that do know. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, like that's exactly it. Like, you know, we are at our core in Abraham. We're having this conversation for our Patreon video before here. We are scientists. We are scientists by nature. And so these discussions are uncomfortable because there is a history of science in every field. That's a pretty unique problem that you have to discuss. And so we're coming at this. I would probably say, yes, we have our bias, but ultimately our primary goal is to approach this with the idea of philosophic doubt. The idea that with new information about the world that we live in, with new information about the universe that we exist in, we do better. We change what we're doing. And I believe you mentioned the term self-correcting, right? Science itself is self-correcting. And and if we are being scientists and we are truly analyzing the environments and the context and the spaces that we're working in, if we're spending time doing that in a real way, then this conversation was inevitable and it's necessary. So that's why we're here now. There's a tricky part of this that because we're trying to be really diplomatic and not taking a really hard stance in any direction other than, I guess, a scientific one, 
when you do take a hard stance, the benefit of doing that is that you immediately have a whole bunch of allies on your side. The people who mm-hmm. rally behind you who are like, yeah, you tell them. And so one way or another, we could do that. When you don't take a hard stance, then you have nobody on your side. And pretty much everybody yeah. is a little bit angry at what you said. Yeah. And yeah. and that's tough. But I also feel like that we're just never going to have this conversation go anywhere if we can't have some nuance and some thoughtful discussion about it. And you know, the reason that I think even though we aren't part of an official, you know, governing body who sanctioned this, and we nevertheless we feel compelled to have a discussion about it, is that we've been in this field for a while and I, we care. Like we care about the people we work with. We care about the the reputation of the people we work alongside. And I think, you know, we both dare I say, are thoughtful people. We try. Yeah, who really try to do this. <laughs> and as, as you pointed out, Shane, and I think you're exactly right, we're not going to get this exactly perfect. We're going to really, really try. Yeah. We're going to try and get as close to perfect as we can be. And so please allow us a little latitude. If we miss something or we misspeak a little, like, you know, reach out to us, let us know. The feedback is appreciated. And like, we're, we're doing our absolute best with this to treat this as, as carefully, as thoughtfully as diplomatically as we can. I think to add to that, I would say that we are taking probably two very hard stances on this. And and so Abraham, please correct me if you don't think this is the case, but I, I'm going to make the argument that we are. Okay. The first is that we need to do better as people, as a helping profession, as working with folks, as, as working collaboratively, we all need to do better together to improve. That's the first hard stance we're going to take. And that's the approach we're going to take. And if that means that we alienate some colleagues or that we don't speak kindly about the work that we've done sometimes. And that's the, that's the case. We are making the argument not for or against one thing or another. We are making the argument to do better as a profession, as professionals and as people. So that's probably the first hard stance. Yep, definitely. The second hard stance is within the values of the podcast, which is that we have strived always to understand why human beings do what they do from every angle. I mean, you can go back to our series on politics and how we spent time trying to analyze every side of that and spend time having those conversations. And that's the other hard stance is we are taking this as an exploratory approach we are trying to look at this from all angles to understand better so that we can do better so going back to that first point so those are our two points we're trying to do better but we're trying to truly understand what's going on here so that we can do better that's great i i love that addition i completely agree with you many of the points that we'll end up making are are in exactly that they they contain that theme and so i guess you're probably listening thinking man they've been talking for so long and haven't even gotten to their point I guess I should have started with the point of this episode is to introduce the series. We do have some more to say more specifically about what we're going to talk about in the series, but this this episode right now is not particularly content heavy. We really wanted to prepare everybody for what we're about to engage in, and we felt we needed the time to sit down and really communicate that as effectively as we possibly can by saying it in as many different ways as thoroughly as we can <laughs> to really make sure that we create the context where you can listen to this and find some value in it, even if you don't agree with us, which none of you will. Yeah. I hope all of you find something that, that you can, that sits okay with you. But because again, that's, it, there's, it's so emotionally charged. I think the reaction for, from many people on both sides will be like, no, you, you yeah. got it wrong. You have to be this way or that way. That's an excellent point. The goal of these episodes is not agreement. That's fair. 
Yeah. That's not the goal. We don't want agreement. We want you to understand. We want to have the conversation. We want to explore this. So if you agree with us or not, that's okay. We're going to lay out as many facts as we can and dispel as many myths as we can. And we're going to lay this out in a way that's consumable. And you can ultimately make your own decision about what we have to say. But the goal is not for agreement. The goal is for understanding. And so if you if you walk out of this unsure of where to go next, that's okay. At least you're having the conversation. Are you ready to uh, dig into the content that we do have for this discussion? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. For those of you who maybe aren't aware in some capacity, I think it's important that we do define our terms as to, to begin with. And the first one to define is this ABA and what that is. Mm -hmm. Now, to go ahead and just be careful, I just pulled from some existing definitions. One I got from a university website, one I got from what is often referred to as like the the great book of behavior analysis. I'm, give, I'm giving it that name. It's got other names that I don't feel like are useful to this conversation. But the first one I'm going to go ahead and quote directly is, quote, applied behavior analysis, ABA, is the practice of applying the psychological principles of learning theory in a systematic way to modify behavior. The practice is used most extensively in special education and in the treatment of autism spectrum disorder, ASD but also in healthcare, animal training, and even business. ABA is widely recognized as the only scientifically valid therapy available for treating behavioral issues associated with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, end quote. And that was the uh, one I got from that website. All right. And the second quote that we're going to pull is from a primary text that we use in our field, which is the Cooper, Heron, and Heward book. And, the, and we're looking at the third edition, the 2020 edition. So right. this quote says, the science in which tactics derived from Principles of behavior applied systematically to improve socially significant behavior and experimentation is used to identify the variables responsible for behavior change, end quote. One point that we're going to talk about in this discussion is that phrase socially significant. Yes. I feel like that's going to come up quite a bit and, and, and there's a reason why. And so we'll kind of, I, I want you to attend to that term as we go forward. I don't want that to be the only term you attend to, but attend to that one for a little bit and just kind of be mindful that this is going to come up quite a bit. Yes. I think these definitions, there's a lot in there that's very relevant that we will bring up as we continue to explore this. And that's definitely one of the most important ones. Mm -hmm. And I also think orienting to the fact that this is a science, as we described initially, and one of the important elements of understanding behavior analysis was laid out early on in our field. And the very first edition of our flagship journal, the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, there was an article that outlined the seven core principles of what define what applied behavior analysis is and would be moving forward. That was a long time ago, right? But these are generally, I think, still very valid and very relevant. Mm -hmm. I think that many people will point to the fact that there were a lot of studies, there's a lot of practices that occurred after these principles were laid out that don't seem to fit inside those principles. And I think that that's fair. That definitely happened. And we've gotten much better. And so I think that these principles remain as important and relevant now as they did then. And we've gotten even better at, at, at sticking to what they mean and evolving what they mean to be more compassionate, more considerate. And so those seven principles are that it, applied behavior analysis is applied behavioral, analytic, technological, conceptually systematic, effective, and capable of producing generalized outcomes. So for any of you studying for the BACB exam, 
<laughs> this is <laughs> this is a, a a helpful study tool for you. Yeah, an easy way to remember that is get a cab. Yep. That's how I always remembered it. Or bat cage if you like to kind of spice it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So in a nutshell, what this means is that the practice that we engage in is the practice of arranging circumstantial or environmental situations resulting in voluntary changes in behavior that are socially important to improving the quality of life for the individual and their social community. This is really designed to make sure that we are not walking into a space and attempting to change or requesting to change behavior that's not important or I guess maybe useful for the person that we're working with. Right. And and I know even that phrasing and that terminology could be torn apart into a bunch of different ways, but and you'll see what we mean as we get into it. But the idea is quality of life, social significance, what's important to the folks that we're serving. And thinking about is the change that we're making relevant to this person in their situation or is this convenient for the people around them, mm-hmm. right? There's That's a distinction we'll get into later, but it is that the focus is and should be on the individual for whom we are providing services. Yep, absolutely. Another thing that this this all this means, these principles and the, these discussions, these definitions, is that the methods that we use are anchored to objective measurement supported by scientific evidence and that the individual with whom we are working learns to use their new behaviors outside of that therapeutic setting in a way that is effective for them. And mm-hmm. I think like many other fields that will, and we'll talk about this as we get going, but there is always, always, always an issue to such uh, to things like adherence and to issues of things like outside of my little setting, do we get the, does this maintain? That's a really important topic that'll cut that'll come back. But as I said, like the important thing here is that if we're going to be changing behavior, we need to be as rigorously scientific as we can, because this is a delicate thing to do. And you don't want to just sort of eyeball it or guess or, or act on your emotions in the moment. You want to be really careful and deliberate and make thoughtful decisions. Yep, absolutely. So. You'll hear these terms a lot, and, and these are terms that you'll hear quite a bit, and, and we actively try to not use these terms too much on the show, but we do. you do hear us say them every now and again. Yeah. You know, we really, really work hard to like flip the script on this, but the terms that you'll hear in this practice include reinforcement, reward, prompts, punishment, shaping. You'll hear those terms quite a bit. You'll hear things like data collection. There's, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different terms that come up that are, that are pretty standard among behavior analysts, and it's pretty common in their language. I didn't even think about behavior function as one you'll probably also hear. Yeah, function. You'll hear environment a lot, stimulus, antecedent, consequence. A lot of those terms are terms that we use quite a bit. And oftentimes when you hear behavior analysts talk about it, they don't often use them interchangeably with something else. You know, like when we say cues, we're talking about antecedents. When we say rewards, we're talking about consequences. But a lot of times behavior analysts don't switch up that language. And so we actively try to do that here. Yeah. And we're not trying to use any of our time in this discussion to really unpack these terms, just to highlight the fact that they occur or the dimensions for that matter. So that's why we sort of said, like, these are the dimensions. This is what it means for these terms. Essentially, what this commonly looks like, what we're talking about is the process of using small rewards, such as like small snacks or points or something like that to incentivize behaviors. Mm -hmm. What you might also see in practice is sort of these small, simple paper or laminated signals to clearly communicate. These are frequent, frequently digital now. So a, a learner might have a tablet such as an iPad or a Kindle or something else where they have some signals, some cues for them that they use. 
And then another thing you'll commonly see is just really highly structured activity plans for how they spend their time either in school or at like a daycare or at home. It's a lot of highly structured activities that we'll get into a little bit the purposes of why, but I think summarizing it briefly here is because it makes life easier for everybody to have like a clear set of expectations about what they're doing in a particular space or situation. Another part of this too is sometimes you'll hear about corrective, quote unquote, corrective procedures yeah. that are used. And so I, I can say anecdotally, I was never trained to use this stuff regularly. It was something that we specifically actively avoid in the field, but we'll talk more about that later too in one of the arguments. But these procedures can include things like timeout, withholding privileges, and when necessary, when there's a safety concern or a health concern, there might be some physical restraint. As a restraint trainer myself, I can tell you that I've been in the field for over a decade now and can count on one hand how many times I've actively had to use a physical restraint procedure. As somebody who's been trained for probably eight years now, because if you if you set up a situation you don't need to it's not necessary and really it's only in the most extreme circumstances i mean this is talk i'm and I, when i say when i say extreme circumstances i talk about somebody trying to gouge their own eye out i talk about people trying to pull out g tubes where they're they, which are dangerous right people trying to run into traffic where if there weren't some kind of restraint process in place they would not have survived so those are the types of circumstances that we talk about at least from my perspective and my history when we bring that kind of stuff up. So just to be clear, what you'd said at the beginning of that was that you weren't trained in these procedures, but in physical restraints, you specifically were trained. Yes. But some of the other ones, not so much. And yeah, I think the other point that you made is a very valid one that's important to reiterate is that these should be not the first thing you do. They should be the very last thing you do. You really try it. We try and avoid these corrective, quote unquote, corrective procedures as much as possible. Those ones that are particularly invasive. I'm not talking about corrective procedures as as like they got a math problem wrong and you helped them with the right answer. That's that's not what I mean here. What we're talking about is these these more I guess intrusive you might say procedures that that as you listed timeout, withholding privileges, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, the overwhelming majority of applied behavior analysis and practice, what that tends to look like most of the time is teaching small, simple skills using really structured, clear strategies and reward systems. Again, we're trying to incentivize and motivate voluntary behavior that moves toward things like learning and acquiring new skills and willing participation in activities that should be for the betterment of the individual. Just to be clear on on what this looks like in most applied contexts. And just to be kind of to follow up on that point, you know, ABA is so much more involved than that. The description we just gave is an incredibly oversimplified version and an incomplete and truncated version. But for the purposes of this discussion, we wanted to give you kind of like some of the bullet points. They're not even all of the bullet points, but they're just enough to understand kind of like some of the arguments that are going to come up. You have to have these bullet points to understand those. So we don't really include acceptance and commitment therapy as, as part of this discussion or part of, you know, all this RFT relational frame theories, what that is precision teaching. We're not going to even spend a lot of time unpacking those because that again, those are almost separate fields that are embedded within behavior analytic practice that require their own attention and their own they deserve their own spotlight at some point in time we may spend some time doing that but right now is not that time yeah we've kind of hit on elements of those and and obm is another one organizational behavior management Mm -hmm. and industrial organizational psychology in another sort of various capacities 
But yeah, this is really centered on what looks like commonly applied behavior analysis, particularly as it pertains to services provided to individuals who are neurodiverse, I think is the the most yes. clear way to say that. Now, getting into essentially the nature of the overall discussion here, essentially what the argument is saying is that it is problematic. The word I often see associated with this is abusive, and, and I will get into some of these arguments are, but essentially in really trying to prepare for this, I was trying to find like what exactly is being accused, like what's being leveraged or, or accused or, or alleged here. And I couldn't find a clear message. What I essentially found was there are a group of people who either argue that applied behavior analysis is essentially abusive and that people should instead embrace individuals with autism as neurodiverse and not try and change them. Like that's, that seems to be the thematic underlying tone of the argument that I see. So did, what, what do you find in, in what you see here? Like, or how would you characterize the essence of the discussion? I think that's fair. I think some of the arguments that we'll see are that behavior analysis is trying to change neurodiverse folks. I'll see sometimes that the term conversion therapy brought in as a discussion point, making the argument that ABA is essentially a, a conversion therapy for neurodiverse folks. And again, we are going to talk about those arguments later and really spend some time on that. But I agree. I, I've never really seen like a a clear formal movement. It seems more like a social media movement. Yeah. There are some resources gathered in certain places, like different links and different websites that, that are out there that are often cited in relation to this. I can think of one specific blog that always gets cited and it's an anecdotal story about somebody's work in the field. Okay. So I see that kind of collection almost like a, like a quilt, you know, it's like, it's okay. like, a, there's a lot of stuff put together, which is okay. I mean, that's, it's yeah. there, you know? And so, so we try to, those do exist, but that's a lot of what I see is like the term conversion therapy. I see the term abuse. Those are the two terms I see a lot in, in relation to that. Yeah. And that made it really difficult to pin down sort of where and how this began. It seems like it has sort of slowly emerged and evolved over time and sort of piecemeal worked together like a quilt, I think is a really good metaphor. There have been critics of behaviorism since there was behaviorism. Like as soon as yeah. it began, there were critics. And as soon as it started being applied to individuals with an autism diagnosis, there were critics of that. And so I think that this is not necessarily that new, but there does seem to be sort of a, a revitalized organization, not really organization, but a, a revitalized discussion maybe yeah. with a few newer talking points. And this has been over the last couple of years, it seems to be is about that recent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think we'll go back and forth here and we'll list essentially the arguments that are being made again, because there's not really a very specific message or, or clear campaign or anything that I could find. Essentially, I tried to take all the different things that I was seeing and distill them down into a list of points. And a lot of people make similar points. And so I kind of tried to group those together to have like thematically one argument. And so I apologize. This is not a comprehensive list. I did what I could to try and, and put together what I think are, are really the primary talking points of this. And so the let's go in through this list of arguments. So one of the arguments is that the original practice of applied behavior analysis did not and still does not rely entirely on positive reinforcement. Instead, sometimes using negative reinforcement and sometimes punishment. And so that mm -hmm. there was a, a history of use of aversives and that those are still being employed to some extent today. 
So that that's one argument that we're looking at. That'll be its own episode. Every one of these is going to get their own full length discussion. This is just us kind of illustrating. Here's what you to expect in the series. Yes. I also too I want to say that this this may evolve. Right. So this is the first episode, and as we start kind of going through this, this is exploratory. So we might discover that maybe another episode is necessary or two. But as it's as we're recording today, and as we are looking at this, these are the primary episode points that we're looking at. So the next one is that there's the argument that the learned behaviors can be robotic. And you've probably seen those examples of somebody saying, hi, how are you? In a very specific way. That is one of the arguments that does come up often. Yep. Another one. Again, each of these is getting their own discussion here. But the next one here is that the skills learned in therapy sometimes fail to generalize to normal environments, or sometimes they don't really work outside of that, quote unquote, therapeutic or clinical context. Mm -hmm. Another argument is that some of the methods that are used can result in something called overcompliance, which leads into issues and concerns with exploitation and abuse and, and other types of longstanding concerns that might come up. This next one is, is kind of related to this idea of generalization. I think there's some nuance to pick out of these, but there's an argument that the methods used in applied behavior analysis can result in what's called prompt dependency. That is, the individual will only demonstrate the learned skill with specific supports or prompts from others rather than doing so independently and with autonomy. Another argument is that therapists often ignore the child's feelings or uh, within that argument that behavior analysts don't even account for or believe in feelings. And then finally, we have that the, the methods used overemphasize reducing stereotyped stimming but non-dangerous behaviors. And this is definitely where a part of that sort of the relation to gay conversion therapy comes in, mm -hmm. where I've seen that argument applied. And so I anticipate that being one of the longer discussions because there's, there's kind of a lot to unpack in that. Those are going to be the main points that we try to touch on in, in these episodes. However, it's possible that there may be additional points that we think that there's maybe a different thematic argument that we can that that's being made that maybe we didn't touch on, or we might discover through those arguments and stuff that there might be a little bit more to explain. So this is not something that's structured in finite. We are going to spend some time talking about this, quite a bit of time talking about this. As a matter of fact, before we even got <laughs> before we got on the episode, we were like, oh, we're going to be talking about this all year, yeah, because there is a lot. There is a lot to unpack, but we want to do it justice from every viewpoint that we can. Yeah, I mean, the way that it stands, we currently have nine episodes planned for this. We plan for them to be shorter. Like these are probably going to be 20 to 30 minutes most of the time. Part of the reason that I like this approach is that I'm, I want you all as listeners to have an opportunity to digest and give us feedback, to email us. And that's going to allow us to evolve this discussion as it moves forward. So this is, this is going to be going on for a while. I hope this this doesn't turn people off too much of, of our topics, but <laughs> we've never done anything like this. And I'm really interested to see how something that feels a little more interactive with our audience, because I'm specifically soliciting from you all that you chime in, you know, email us, write in and tell us your thoughts. And that I think it allows us to explore something in an evolving long-term sort of way. So this isn't going to be a regular thing where we do these, these long mini series. But there's just so many things right now that are really relevant to a format like this. I think it's going to be really fun because we've never done anything like this. And because we've never done anything like this, we're kind of in this like dark territory. We have no idea where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is going to be interesting. So, yeah. All right. I got a little topic from uh, we start talking about what we're going to do with this. And we haven't quite wrapped up the the final point here of of who is making these arguments. Who are the people who are out there saying these things who are pushing this campaign about why they are concerned 
about behavior analysis, applied behavior analysis, and the way that it's used, particularly with individuals with an autism diagnosis or other neurodiverse individuals. Well, essentially, it sort of broke down into sort of four categories I found of the people who, who most commonly have something to say about this. And the first one were autism advocates. Most of the time, these are people who their job or their objective is to campaign on behalf of the rights and well-being of individuals with an autism diagnosis. I've known many of these people. I tend to really like people who are autism advocates. I'm sure that there are wonky people out there, but generally advocates are, are somebody I can just get behind because their only motivation really is to support a population. Sometimes these people have multiple roles, but that's generally speaking, one of the groups of people who have come out. And I also want to be really clear that this is not all autism advocates, but the vast majority of autism advocates are people who actually do, from my experience, they tend to be in support of use of things like applied behavior analysis as supports for individuals with an autism diagnosis. But one of the places where voices in opposition to this have come is from some of those advocates for individuals with autism. Yep. I'm hoping that's clear. It's just that I'm not saying that autism advocates as a, as a general group are making this argument, but some of the people who are making this argument are people who are advocates. Is that clear? Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Cool. That makes sense. Another group that is making, they're kind of presenting these arguments are going to be autistic folks, like autistic adults or individuals with autism, depending on your preference and all that. I've worked with some folks that prefer autistic adults, identity first, and some folks that prefer individuals with autism. So I want to make sure we cover all those bases. Yeah, thank you. But a lot of times what you will find within this group is it's a lot of folks who are autistic who can actually articulate or voice their concerns. And so um, so you have folks that, that can communicate this and communicate this pretty well overall versus like some of the folks that we might work with who are autistic who are not able to communicate as well. So these are folks that who have, have reported an experience with ABA early in their, in their childhood or who have experienced or expressed their concerns with that. And so within this group too, you'll find some folks that are self-diagnosed yeah. and you'll find some folks that are formally diagnosed and it's really interesting because you'll see within even within this group, you'll find folks that are proponents for ABA and folks who are you know staunchly against it. Even within this population and within this group, there is a little bit of a divide in the discussion. I was going to make that point as well is that, and again, if not most of uh, the people who fall into these categories, there are a lot of people in these groups that are strong advocates for applied behavior analysis. There are autism advocates that strongly support ABA. There are are many, many individuals with autism who strongly support ABA, many individuals with autism who have become behavior analysts. Mm -hmm. Like they went, they went on to get a, a job in this field, which is wonderful. Yeah. So awesome to have someone who's got the real perspective of having been on the receiving end of this, being able to be in the chair yeah. and sort of be on the, on the other side, which is great. I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. Another group is parents or friends of families with children with autism. So mm -hmm. again, these are some people who have been critics. And again, a lot of them, if not most of them, are fierce supporters yep. of ABA. So, But that is where one of the groups, the sort of schism exists in all these groups, I guess. And finally, there's also competitors to ABA. And I think this one is really important to unpack a little bit because this group in particular describes a specific motivation that we can pin down. And when we talk about some more systematic things and stuff like that, you'll kind of see what we're saying. But yeah. there's specifically a group that are that are vocally out against ABA 
who are in direct competition with, and when we say competition, we say competition for services, rendering services right. that are, I don't want to say opposed, but are, are a little bit different than what we do. Yeah. Financial competition. So yes. yeah, to set the context, there is a small interdisciplinary group of professionals who more or less have cornered the market on providing services to neurodiverse individuals. And so what I'm saying is that there are a group of professionals who are eligible to receive compensation in the form of insurance. And I mean, anybody can receive private pay, but we'll say insurance then primarily for this. And that there's there's only a handful. So you've got occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech and language pathologists, neurologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, and of course, applied behavior analysts. Mm -hmm. This is a group of people who this interdisciplinary team that are frequently employed to provide services to individuals with an autism diagnosis, and they're able to bill insurance for providing those services. But there are a lot of other programs that would like to make money working with this population, mm -hmm. usually this insurance money. They tend to be highly critical of whoever is most directly competing with their model. There are people who feel like they're in competition with the, with the OTs, with the SLPs, with the neurologists. And for us, we're talking about from the sort of the behavior analysis perspective, there are some critics who are people who simply want business and see ABA as an impediment to their way of doing that business. And they might, and often do, explicitly disagree with some or all of the principles of behavior analysis. But really, the main issue here is access to money to conduct their services. And legitimately, you know, when that sounds kind of like a cynical take, we can go back and cite the Florida licensure programs that were going on in, beha in behavior analysis a few years ago, where the Florida Board of Psychology actively and aggressively shot down behavior and analysis licensure as a result of it limiting their services. So if we if behavior and analysis had been up for licensure and we had gotten licensure, Florida psychologists were not able to practice behavior analysis. And that was their primary argument for it. Yes, there's so many things in this world where the answer is follow the money because mm -hmm. you will find out that the motivation for so many things is it always comes back to that paycheck. And, you know, I, I get it, too. Like, that's that's how we feed our families. That's how we pay for our homes. That's that's how we get by in the world. Like, it is the universal token economy that we sort of all have agreed to yeah. and continue to use. And, I mean, we did a whole episode on money yeah. a, a little while ago. So <laughs> there's more on that there. But, but, yeah, I mean, just as you said, it is a bit cynical, but it's also not inaccurate. Right. Right. Like, this is definitely a thing that happens. For a lot of these other groups that we mentioned, these are people who have concerns that will address those concerns. We'll get to them. And I also just going to, for like fourth time, reiterate the point that most people in those groups are still supporters of, of applied behavior analysis practice. And the people who are critics do come from those groups. Yep. So this discussion today and all subsequent ones, this is not the end all be all argument to end this discussion. But we wanted to throw our hat in the ring and see if we could provide any additional nuance and clarity and diplomacy to talking about these issues that are very highly emotionally charged hot button issues right now. These discussions 
are going to be relevant today and may not be relevant in a few years. I mean, it is really something that like this is this is going to be a time capsule of of a current state of the world and just from from a perspective where we've tried to do our best to to illustrate it. So so we're hopeful that you get something out of it. We're hopeful that it makes you think and not necessarily that it makes you think one way or another, but it just makes you think more deeply about what you do as a human being, as a practitioner and kind of instills the idea of like, you know, with new information, you tend to go forward and do better. You know, with yeah. new information, you learn to do better than you did the, the day before. That's the setup. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, that's our intro episode for this. And that in itself was heavy. So you yeah. imagine where we're going to go from here. Yeah, this is this is only going to get increasingly intense as we go. Thank you so much for joining us. I, again, I, I really apologize if for anyone who is offended by anything we've said so far, we're really doing our best here. Feel free to reach out to us at our email account to give us any feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We're eager to hear from all of you and look forward to hopefully moving this discussion forward. If you really can't listen to this, then maybe this discussion isn't for you. I apologize, but you know we we're we're doing our best here to help to help move this and uh, and and make it workable for all people. That's really where it's at. This is a, a, a nuanced and complex discussion. You know, if you hear it, great. Just try to try to attend to it with an open mind. Whatever side you're on already, try to attend to to it with an open mind so that you can come at it from a different angle and just you know, hopefully learn something about yourself or about the field or about something, you know, anything about what we're talking about. Regardless of whether you agree with us, disagree with us, love us, hate us, we love you. Thank you for listening. We're open to hearing your concerns and validating your concerns, your thoughts, your your experience with this. We really are, are trying to be, you know, I guess neutral, but also informative, if that makes, if, if, if that works, yep. you know, if it makes sense to do that. Yeah. As much as that can work. Yeah. All right, perfect. Well, this has been fun. Let's go ahead and uh, <laughs> and and do a quick fun transition to talk about uh -huh. some recommendations. Let's do it. Recommendations. All right. I wasn't super prepared to have a recommendation because I wasn't thinking we were going to treat this campaign the way that we were going to treat it and thought we'd finish the whole episode, but that's okay. Here we are. Yeah. I just tried this for the first time today, but there's this brand of cold brew coffee called chameleon mm. and they have a maple flavor and a dark chocolate flavor and they use oat milk if that's a, th a concern for you. And it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got mine at Whole Foods. I think you can get it probably at, at most stores that sell any kind of like alternative milks or quote unquote health foods, whatever that might mean. Yeah. I'd recommend giving it a try. If you're, if you like coffee, if you're into oat milk, if you want to try these things, this uh, chameleon brand coffee makes some good stuff. Their black coffee is really good, too, if you have a creamer that you prefer. So cool. my recommendation is a book. Speaking of seriousness, I just finished this book called The Whisper Man by Alex North. Is it about Dick Cheney? Yeah, it's <laughs> psychological thriller about Dick Cheney. <laughs> it's a psychological thriller about a serial killer. And like he'd been gone for a while and all of a sudden his crimes start popping back up. And, you know, I don't want to ruin too much of it. But I, one of the things I really like about it is that there's just these very small details that this author writes that are really effective. Like it's not gory. It's not bloody. They, you get an idea of the crimes that are going on and you get an idea of the people and there's some really great twists and turns in it that you don't really expect. So they do a really good job of kind of setting up this really great story and fleshing it out in a really meaningful way. So I, I recommend it. as It's a good, easy read, but it's I don't want to say fun read, but it's an interesting read 
for folks who like that type of thing. That's cool. I feel like I haven't heard you recommend a lot of psychological thrillers as much as like just straight up horror or sci-fi. Yeah. So this is it's kind of a cool new thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, it was either that or the, the no effects biography, which is disgusting. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the most sex positive. It's like it makes Motley Crue look like they were like children. It's ridiculous. Wow. Well, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> You know, I've been meaning to add, Selena asked us like months ago to add in a recommendation from her for the movie Death Becomes Her. Yes. So I apologize. It's taken us so long. Yes. Very funny. Interestingly, so this this is a fairly old movie at this point, but this has Bruce Willis back when he was doing like comedies. Uh-huh. He was funny. Like he had some good comedy chops. Yeah. He sort of got pigeonholed into action movies, which maybe he likes doing. But this this was a a sort of dark comedy from I think the early 90s. It's very funny. So Cool recommendation. Yeah, it's him well. and Goldie Hawn and yeah. um, there's Meryl somebody Streep, else. I think. Who else is it? No, no, no. Meryl is, Streep, it, yeah. is it Meryl Streep or Glenn Close? I think it's Meryl Streep. I think it's Meryl Streep. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, it's excellent. It's an excellent movie. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Cool. All right. Anything else, Shane? Nah, not today. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. I mean, really, thank you for actually listening. Yeah, seriously. And please reach out to us. Again, our email is info at www.wwdpodcast.com. You can reach us on all the social media platforms. I, I'd prefer not to use that those platforms as a high level of engagement, but any quick shout outs, quick questions, things you want to throw on there, that's totally fine. We're in all those places. And again, if you'd like to support us, you can join us on Patreon. I think that's all I have. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.